The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Hey, it's Katie Kramer, your Squawk Pod host. Before we start today's episode, I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Whether you've been loyal since our launch in 2019 or you're a little newer, we appreciate every one of you. And we love presenting you with the best of CNBC's coverage every day. Our work would not be possible without your support. So please help us help you. Take a second right now. Click that follow button wherever you're listening and give us a rating while you're at it. Couple of stars. Remember, you can also share any of our episodes at any time on Twitter, LinkedIn, your personal newsletter, a text, whatever. Help us spread the CNBC word. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Now, let's get to the podcast. Bring in show music, please. Today on Squawk Pod. Hitting the ceiling. Debt ceiling negotiations still stalled at the White House. If you don't want to ever think about how much we're spending and you just want to raise it no matter what every single time, then why have it in the first place? In some progressive circles, that's the question that's being asked right now, Joe, is why? Well, that's me. That's me, Kayla. <laughs> Keeping American business competitive. Chair of the Federal Trade Commission, Lena Khan, she's got an AI warning for big tech. These are new tools, but it's important to know that the existing rules still apply. There is no exemption or legal shield that AI enjoys. And how artificial intelligence could change what we learn and where we stay on vacation. Plus, Tucker Carlson's taken to Twitter. A Twitter spokesperson responded with a poop emoji. I guess I need to get up to speed on the emojis. No sh- No, no kidding. It's Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, goodbye in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Yay. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is on assignment this morning. He's going to join us a little later. Okay, folks, just wanted to welcome you, let you know what we're doing. We're not going to take any questions now. We're going to get started. We're going to solve all the world's problems. There was no big breakthrough at yesterday's debt ceiling meeting among congressional leaders and President Biden, but they will keep talking, and I guess that's the good news. Kayla Tausche joins us right now with the latest on that. Kayla, good morning. Good morning, Becky. It's the good news and it's the new news because President Biden and congressional leaders after meeting for an hour or over an hour yesterday, what they did was they tried to establish a negotiating process after months of entrenched positions. And in last minute remarks yesterday evening, the president reinforced his position, saying he's open to spending cuts so long as the debt limit is raised. I told congressional leaders that I'm prepared to begin a separate discussion about my budget and the spending priorities but not under the threat of default. Biden called it a productive meeting and said conversations would continue among staff and principals this week. And those principals would be meeting again at the White House on Friday. But he also noted there's a long way to go and no love lost between himself and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who after the discussion characterized the progress as no movement. Everybody in this meeting 
reiterated the positions they were at. I didn't see any new movement. The president said the staff should get back together, but I was very clear with the president. We have now just two weeks to go. If Chuck Schumer could pass something, we'd go to conference right away and solve that. Right now, there's not support in the Senate to get behind the spending bill the House GOP passed two weeks ago or support for the clean debt limit raise that Senator Schumer has proposed. There will need to be a new agreement reached that both sides are comfortable with that can get that support. President Biden and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, though, yesterday both committed that the U.S. would not default on its debt under any scenario. But there's still a big open question of what happens in the next three weeks that can ensure that outcome. Joe and Becky. So, Kayla, what um, what are the alternatives? Is it the president sits down and actually negotiates something? Is it that Schumer gets together with McConnell and they come up with a plan that could be passed by the Senate? Well, Senator McConnell has stood firmly behind House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and said that it's up to him and the president to reach a deal and that if they reach a deal, that Senate Republicans would fall in line and support that. Yesterday, President Biden suggested some areas where there could be fertile ground for agreement. He suggested he would be open to potentially um, redirecting unspent COVID aid. But that's just a few tens of billions of dollars when, you know, the order of deficit reduction that they're talking about is in the trillions of dollars. So there's still a really long way to go. The positive sign is that these talks are happening, but the president also yesterday did not rule out invoking the 14th Amendment. That would introduce a lot of uncertainty in the market, but he said some of his legal advisors think, think that it's legitimate. And he also uh, did not rule out a short-term extension if these talks are making progress, but they don't have a deal when we get closer to the end of the month. Becky. Is there a chance that the infrastructure bill or other big spending plans that have been put in place would be rolled back? Well, the big one that the Republicans are talking about is the Inflation Reduction Act. They've yeah. suggested that some of the core tenets of that um, could be rolled back. And that was what it was included in the House GOP bill that passed a few weeks ago. But President Biden has suggested that's a non-starter, that those are his signature pieces of legislation. The money's already being dispersed. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Uh, so certainly they're going to have to get creative and figure out something else if it's not. Senator Johnson, Kayla, was just saying, look, uh, this is all a bluff and that it's easy to just, so you can always pay your debt. There's always enough money for that. You just don't, don't do other things. Is the, the, how long could that work? I mean, I guess people don't get a paycheck. Is that good for two weeks? Could we go to June 14th or something? Or Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's the calculation that I think people are trying to make right now because June 15th is when those corporate tax receipts start coming in, but June 1st is the deadline that Treasury set. And on June 1st, you know, you have about $12 billion in payments to veterans that are set to go out. On June 2nd, you have about $50 billion of Social Security payments that are set to go out. And even though, you know, there was this expectation in past debt ceiling debates that Social Security would be untouched, that it's protected by the trust fund uh, that is its own source of revenue. You know, we've now heard the Treasury Secretary say that Social Security payments could be in jeopardy, too. So you have tens of billions of dollars of, of payments that the government needs to make in those first two weeks of June, Joe. And I think there are questions about how Treasury would or could prioritize those payments since this is really uncharted territory. So you do the 14th Amendment, and then it, what happens? Does it start in lower courts, the challenges? And then how long does that stay in courts? And in the mean, could a court stay it immediately if it didn't want it to? I mean, could, could they do that? Or do you have as much time as it takes to play out in the courts to use it? Yeah. Well, I'm not a lawyer, and my husband, who is, prefers that I don't play one on TV. But I think given <laughs> the ramifications of the situation, 
you know, you would think that a court would hear this immediately or would, would opine on it immediately. But when I talk to Treasury officials about the possibility of the 14th Amendment, you know, the real question is, because, it, because it's never been done before, what you really want to avoid is uncertainty in the Treasury markets. It says that you know, the full faith and credit of the United States is constitutional, that the country can continue issuing its debt um, and that nothing can challenge that. But the issue is that you have to have market participants on the other side that believe that. And if there's any sort of challenge and Treasury goes to auction to try to sell more debt to pay these bills, you know, A, are there going to be people showing up for that auction? And B, what is the interest rate that they're going to demand for buying that paper? And we just don't know what that is. And already the country's paying $900 billion in interest this year. Um, I think they want to avoid a situation where, you know, the, the idea that that Treasury auction would go successfully uh, is not in question either. The logic of the debt ceiling is, is hard to understand anyway. I mean, I, the only reason that we have it would be to make us think about how much we're spending, I, w I would think. But if you don't want to ever think about how much we're spending and you just want to raise it no matter what every single time, then why have it in the first place? I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a catch-22. I think in some progressive circles, that's the question that's being asked right now, Joe, is why. Well, that's me. You know, that's when, me, Kayla. When, that's, uh, I'm in those circles. <laughs> I, I, I frequent those circles. I don't, think, I, I don't think anyone's ever accused you of that. I run around I, in those. I, but, I, but I mean... <laughs> I mean, seriously, on the left. I mean, why when, you know, they're asking why when, when Democrats had the majority in Congress, even a slim majority in the Senate and the majority in the House, why did they not eradicate the debt ceiling if they could anticipate a situation like this happening? You know, they, they did not prioritize that. They did not decide to go in that direction. So, you know, e even now, you know, I think there is some consternation among some of the moderate Democrats about how much the country is spending how much debt the country is issuing, and to be sure, in 30 years, I mean, the federal debt is set to be about 217 um, percent of GDP. So it, it's a big number, and I think that you know you'll find some some moderates who want to do something about it too. All right, thank you, Kayla. Thanks, guys. Shares of Airbnb are falling. Earnings of 18 cents a share uh, beat estimates of nine cents. Revenue is also above expectations, but uh, the current quarter guidance is uh, the problem here with flying the ointment. We're down about 14%. Uh, the street lower than what was expected. CEO Brian Chesky said the company faces tough comps for the second quarter because of a surge in demand in the year ago quarter uh, following the uh, om uh, Omicron variant. I guess in other words, this means, yeah, this was not normal right. to have people renting really places and yeah. really wanting to get out and escape even when they were working from home all the time. Maybe this means that there's fewer people who are able to say, I'm going to take off for a month and work from wherever I want. And, and I guess there was a time where you didn't want to walk through a hotel lobby either. Right. So you just wanted to be in, on your own little sleeping in other people's skeevy sheets. But I've done Airbnbs. I, I like them. You don't worry about bed bugs or toe no fungus? No when I'm or, in a hotel. Yeah, hotels are gross too. Grosser sometimes. I guess it depends on where you're going. But if you're, if you're going to go for three weeks or a month or something, I think people were doing Airbnbs and just saying, I can work from wherever I want. You monitor I think the whole room does. with a black light? And you, no. You don't want to know. No. <laughs> I did bring my slippers with me to Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Shares of a firm. I see people in the sauna with slippers. I, I just, I don't care. You're the reason the rest of us wear slippers. <laughs> exactly. And cover up in there. Yeah. No, don't do that either. Ah.
<laughs> shares of, even out at, remember, I was out, even out at CNBC. Now there is an iPhone. Hey, it's a locker room. <laughs> don't look. Right. Got a problem? You know, you know don't you, look. You know what you are demanding, I say. No. Okay, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I don't care. I don't care. Shares of, uh, a firm, you know, boomers. <laughs> You know, you know what percentage of assets the millennials hold? Assets, in this so to speak. Yeah, assets. 5%. 5%. That was a CNBC piece. 5%. They're killing it. Tucker Carlson said yesterday that he's relaunching his show on Twitter. Carlson was abruptly fired from his primetime post at Fox News weeks ago after the network paid a settlement to Dominion Voting Systems in its defamation suit. In a three-minute video, Carlson accused the uh, mainstream media of lying and manipulating the public and said Twitter is the last big remaining platform in the world uh, that allows free speech. And when asked for a comment, uh, a Fox representative didn't immediately respond. A Twitter spokesperson responded with a poop emoji, which I didn't, I guess I need to get up to speed on the emojis. Do you, can you write code where I have a button that just automatically just puts that on like my Twitter replies? Could I get to the point where I could just... Well, yeah, it's, if it's your most frequently used emoji, it's right Is that there. true? One thing. Is that true? Well, it, if, you're, if you go to emojis... So it, it, it will If you self... go to emojis while you're doing it, it lists your most frequently no used way. emojis. So no way. <laughs> no, no kidding. All right. No kidding. Really? That's uh, no really? shit That's amazing. Uh, so I can do that easily. You can do do that, yes. I can do do that. I want to ask for, oh, we already said all this, poop emoji. Twitter's, <laughs> no kidding, I'll use next time. Don't, don't tell me, I know, I'm sorry. Uh, Twitter CEO Elon Musk tweeted it yesterday. sounded like sorry, not sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah, sorry, not sorry. Uh, tweeted yesterday uh, that Carlson would be subject to the same rules and rewards of all con- uh, content creators, has not signed a deal of any kind. He's going to self-advertise, uh, I guess. But I don't know who feels comfortable. I, I mean, I do respect Tucker. I, I look at his, you know, used to watch, and there are certain times where you need a voice that can really call things like that. Other times that, you know, I was like, raise a few eyebrows, because some of it gets out there a little yeah. bit. But trouble getting some advertisers, uh, even at 8 o'clock at Fox, so I don't know how you self-advertise necessarily. I on guess Twitter. it depends on your audience. Who's, who's ready to... You know, which advertisers feel comfortable. Look, Elon Musk came out yesterday and made a point of saying he's not getting a different deal than any other content creators on the platform. So there's no deal where Twitter is paying them or where there's something else that's going on. At least that's what Elon Musk said yesterday. So we'll see. Apparently walked away from deals for a lot more money at other places. There's a lot of things swirling, too. It's unclear with it. Can he do it? Yeah. Right. I don't know whether... Is it with, given is the non compete? the same as a network. Do you get to decide that your, your non compete doesn't work anymore? But he and you're says not that they. To it? Because he, Fox looks like they're willing to pay him more than $20 million a year to stay to fin- quiet. To finish his uh, till January of 25, which would put him past the, the, the next election. He says that things that Fox did already violated the contract, so the non compete uh, is not. Sounds like a case for the lawyers. To work out. Yeah. He's got some good Brian Friedman. He's got. Uh, I'd say Fox has some good lawyers, too, but maybe the $787 million settlement says otherwise. I just still don't understand if you were going to, I mean, I, that had to be uh, who was making all those decisions. I watch Succession, and it gives me an idea of, of what can go on in companies. But uh, if they knew everything was going to come out anyway, I don't know why you didn't settle long, long ago. That, everything comes out, then you settle? I don't know. I don't know. 
they didn't know either. Well, in other Twitter news, Elon Musk said that the company plans to launch encrypted direct messages today. That means only the sender and the receiver are able to see the message. Musk said, the acid test is that I could not see your DMs even if there was a gun to my head. That's a similar feature to encrypted service WhatsApp, which is owned by Meta. Musk also said that voice and video calls would soon be added so that users can talk to people anywhere in the world without giving them a phone number. Cheese will be next. Coming up, chair of the Federal Trade Commission, Lena Khan, why she's turned up the heat on big tech. What best positions the United States to compete internationally, uh, to stay ahead internationally, is making sure that we are a home for innovation and what best produces breakthrough innovation is competition. Squawk Pot is back right after this. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew will join us. Right now, got some uh, another big interview and Andrew has that, so we want to send it right over to him. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Bex. Thanks. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission uh, calling for a scrutiny of uh, companies that are developing artificial intelligence technologies in an op-ed uh, just last week, uh, the FTC chair, Lena Khan, warning about what she calls, quote, the expanding adoption of AI risks, uh, risks further locking in the dominant, the market dominance of large incumbent technology firms. We want to talk about that and more. Joining us right now in an exclusive interview is FTC chair Lena Khan as we discuss uh, the world of competition, which has become uh, probably the most important thing inside boardrooms uh, around uh, the country and now the world these days. Um, Chair Khan, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Um, let's, let's talk uh, about AI specifically and how you're looking at big tech. Of course, uh, Microsoft has partnered up with ChatGPT. We're going to be hearing uh, later today, actually, from Google around their AI technology, Bard. But how do you think about big tech and AI at this point? So look, these are new tools, but it's important to know that the existing rules still apply. There is no exemption or legal shield that AI enjoys. And so for the FTC, that means that our laws prohibiting unfair practices, deceptive practices, unfair methods of competition, discrimination, collusion, all of those laws are still going to be applying and, and companies need to be on notice accordingly. But how do you think about competition in this context? One of the things that's clear about AI is it requires remarkable amounts of compute power. You could consider it infrastructure, if you will. And you talk about incumbents being the winners in this game, which I imagine is something you would like uh, to avoid. 
How do you avoid that? If, if, that, if you think that that is the right outcome, how do you avoid that in, in, with a technology that requires vast amounts of money? I mean, the reason that ChatGPT and OpenAI uh, you know, did this deal with Microsoft, for example, to begin with was because they needed access to lots and lots of capital. Look, there's no doubt that so far we've seen how these technologies really thrive on huge data sets, huge amounts of compute power, and that certain larger firms may have an advantage. What we need to do as law enforcers is ensure that the types of opportunities and openings for competition that these moments of technological disruption can present, that those moments are not being squashed out uh, by the incumbents. And so historically, we've seen that these moments can allow new firms, can allow startups uh, to really enter and thrive and provide new innovations and make sure those innovations are being provided to all Americans. And as enforcers, that's what we need to be especially vigilant about, to make sure that incumbents are not using their existing dominance in ways that are unlawful or anti-competitive to squash out innovation and squash out competition. But you have no problem if a Microsoft or a Google or an Apple or, or an Amazon, a big, big tech company, ends up winning the AI game, if you will? Well, look, it's going to be a very fact-specific inquiry. Uh, I think history has to be a cautionary tale for us here. Uh, we need to look at what transpired the last time around when there was a significant technological inflection point where, unfortunately, and, and lawsuits from both the FTC and DOJ note this, uh, unfortunately, the dominant firms uh, were, were able to engage in anti-competitive practices in ways that shifted the trajectory of that innovation. And I think we need to be especially vigilant to make sure it's not unlawful practices that might be contributing to that. I just mentioned uh, Microsoft before. Let me ask you about uh, Microsoft and Activision. This is a transaction uh, that you have been investigating. As you know, the UK competition authorities have effectively blocked that transaction. They actually blocked it uh, effectively using a slightly narrower or, or different argument than I think uh, perhaps you were looking at. This was uh, specifically around cloud, the cloud gaming market as opposed to simply the console market. But can you see how your views of this transaction and their views differ? So this is a matter that's under act in active proceedings, so there's a limited amount that I can say about it. Uh, but the FTC separately sued to block this deal back in early December. Uh, and the complaint lays out various concerns that the commission has. Uh, that includes concerns in the console market, but also concerns in the cloud market, uh, in subscription markets that are still expanding and developing. So uh, it's really looking at, at several markets, including those that are still fast growing and still developing. Uh, I think we've seen time and time again how these nascent markets can be ones where enforcers have a special mandate to make sure we're protecting competition, protecting innovation, and again, not allowing incumbents to thwart competition and innovation. Let me ask you about this. Uh, Jay Clayton, former uh, chair of the SEC, and Gary Cohn, uh, formerly of the NEC, uh, were on this program last week. They also had an op-ed in The New York Times. I'm sure you uh, read it about what they call the outsourcing of regulatory policy to Europe. And they write the following. They say, some regulators in their zeal to achieve a social policy agenda set by a few extreme progressives in the Democratic Party seem to be embracing a new strategy that evades constitutional impediments outsourcing U.S. regulatory policy to Europe. What do you think of that? Look, 
those allegations are just flatly untrue. Uh, there has long been a history of U.S. enforcers cooperating with, sharing information with international enforcers. Uh, that's occurred over multiple decades under both Democratic and Republican administrations. Uh, interestingly, uh, the business community has supported and actively encouraged that type of, incur uh, that type of cooperation and, and coordination. And so, uh, you know, the FTC here reached an independent judgment uh, back in December, looking at the facts before it, looking at the laws of the U.S. as applied to these facts, as applied to this transaction. And each jurisdiction applies its own authorities, applies its own laws. Uh, we, of course, engage in best practices in terms of coordination and information sharing. Uh, but there's no question that every enforcer is using its own independent judgment to reach the right. conclusions that it does. How do you think, this is an international business question, how do you think about uh, U.S. dominance or, or whether we should want U.S. dominance by certain U.S. companies relative to the dominance of uh, industries by foreign competitors, I ask, because as you know, earlier this month, uh, the FTC proposed a change to the agency's 2020 consent decree uh, for Meta. And Meta came back and said, why are you doing this to us? <laughs> You're going to injure us even more. And look over there in China at TikTok and what it's doing. And I I'm curious if you could even talk about, to the extent you think about the, the sort of competition internationally, how that plays into your thinking? So look, I think what history and experience have shown us is that what best positions the United States to compete internationally, uh, to stay ahead internationally, is making sure that we are a home for innovation. And what best produces breakthrough innovations, cutting through cutting edge technologies, is competition. Uh, I think we've seen time and time again, monopolies and incumbent firms arguing that they need to preserve their monopoly to make sure that the U.S. stays ahead. Uh, but historically, uh, the U.S. has instead enforced competition laws, enforced antitrust, and that is what has led us to be the home of cutting-edge technologies. Uh, I think we saw that, you know, back with IBM, back with AT&T, uh, when the government required AT&T to open up its patent vaults uh, as part of an antitrust action. That led to decades and decades of innovation. Uh, I think we saw that Silicon Valley was birthed in the wake of strong competition and antitrust enforcement. And so I think we need to be very wary of arguments that it's really monopoly that's going to best position us to thrive internationally when time and time again we've seen the exact opposite. Chair Khan, I think Joe's got a question for you. I do. Uh, Chair Khan, a former SEC chair, Jay Clayton, also kind of intimated that, that it, it almost appears that, that size and power um, are sort of on the target of, of the, the FTC at this point, whether there's unlawful or uh, uh, illegal behavior at, at the core of what's happening. And I, I'm, your groundbreaking um, thesis, whatever you want to call it, on, on sort of a 2.0 and for antitrust with Amazon and platforms and the like and the power that 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 gives the company uh, kind of displaces consumer benefits. Um, I, I'm wondering, is it a whole new approach to doing this? It, it, it just because a company is big and powerful and appears to be a monopoly, even though it's not doing anything wrong. If you decide that that that, that is grounds for action, eventually consumers could be hurt. Consumers have done very well with these big companies. I think in, in the United States, you'd have to say that iPhones, apps, everything else. Are you sure that's the right move that, and it will benefit consumers down the road? 
Look, we enforced the laws on the books. Uh, Congress passed antitrust laws because Congress was suspicious of monopolies uh, and the abusive and unlawful practices that monopolies engage in. And I think we've seen time and time again that what's best for consumers, what's best for innovation, uh, what's best for ensuring that the U.S. is at the cutting edge is enforcing the antitrust laws. And I think there's no question that when you have dominant incumbents, uh, they can squash opportunity for newcomers. Uh, you know, we should celebrate the success of, of successful firms, but we also need to make sure that they're not crowding out the opportunity for the next generation of startups, for the next generation of entrepreneurs that could bring those uh, even greater innovations to market. And so that's really what we look at is the existing laws, how they apply to the facts before us. Uh, and we've seen, again, lawsuits both from the Federal Trade Commission, uh, from the Justice Department under this administration, under the prior administration, uh, with serious allegations about anti-competitive and unlawful practices uh, by some of these same firms. And so we need to take that seriously. Right. Uh, Chair Khan, I uh, wanted to get an update. Uh, last time uh, you spent time with us and, and you graciously came on, uh, I think it was the day that you announced or the day after you announced uh, the plans to, uh, to look at non-compete agreements on a federal basis. Um, I'm curious where that now stands. Uh, I know that the Chamber of Commerce and others have said that they will uh, go to court over this, but you've now uh, been in a listening mode. Obviously, lots of uh, comments have come in. What have you learned? So we have received over 26,000 comments. Uh, our comment period closed a couple of weeks ago. We also did some listening sessions, hearing directly from folks. And we're still making our way through those 26,000 comments, but there's no doubt that we've heard directly from people about their experience uh, with these non-competes and how these non-competes have blocked them from taking a better job, a better opportunity. Uh, we also heard from startups and entrepreneurs and folks in the business community about how these non-competes have locked up talent pools in ways that prohibit them and inhibit them from expanding and scaling up. And so there's effect, an effect not only on workers, but also an effect on competition and startups and entrepreneurship. Right. And so we're looking at that evidence closely. Uh, there's no doubt that we've heard voices from all sides. We heard in particular from healthcare workers about how these non-competes that are governing work uh, doctors, that are governing healthcare workers, may also actually be impeding the quality and access of healthcare. Uh, so that's right. something that we're looking at closely as well. But I'm curious though, and, and look, we've talked about it in the context of healthcare workers uh, who, who very, very much seem to be in that category where, where this non-compete agreement maybe doesn't make sense, or a hairdresser, or something of the like. But have you also heard on the other end about uh, some of these senior executives uh, and the kind of payments that they're made? And do you, uh, do you make a distinction between the two? Should there be a distinction between the two? That's something we're looking at closely. And some of the questions that we asked in our initial proposal was, uh, should there be a line that's drawn here? And if so, where should that line be drawn? Uh, I will say we also actually got comments from some of those same senior level executives uh, that also talked about how non-competes that had prevented them from actually starting their own business and creating new competition right. in a market. And so uh, we're looking all, at all of this closely and we'll decide where to land uh, when we come it's out. It's a the timely, uh, Chair Khan, it's a timely issue because as you know, Tucker Carlson uh, has just decided that he is uh, been fired from Fox, but wants to start a new company, a startup, if you will, uh, on Twitter. Uh, but of course, is, has a non-compete, is paid by Fox. Uh, Elon Musk and uh, Twitter, I think, would like him to come to some degree, uh, unclear. What do you think about an example like that? Well, look, I think in instances where uh, we've seen how non-competes are 
pre preventing people from starting their own venture, that can create a lot of concern. Uh, I think we also need to look at, you know, whether somebody is being compensated for a non-compete or not. Uh, I will say as a general matter, you know, we're very interested in what is this non-compete looking to achieve? Uh, is it really designed to lock out competition to prevent somebody from getting a better job, a better opportunity? Uh, or if, is it designed instead to protect trade secrets? Uh, and if so, why don't we look at trade secrets laws, at non-disclosure agreements, at other tools that are available that could protect those legitimate interests without blocking competition, without keeping people locked into jobs that they no longer want to be in. Right. Um, and I know we're running out of time. I have a final question for you. Um, as you know, there are a lot of vacancies uh, at the uh, FTC. Specifically, there are now three Democrats and no Republicans um, uh, at the FTC in terms of the members uh, that are there. Uh, Christine Wilson stepped down earlier this year, and as you know, she said uh, she was doing so because she thought that you had a, quote, disregard for the rule of law. What does that do or not to the credibility of the agency? Look, we're doing the important job that Congress has given us. Uh, I think the commission is at its best when it's at full strength. And so we really look forward to uh, new commissioners that the president is appoint will appoint and the Senate will confirm. Uh, look, there's no doubt that there is significant bipartisan concern, including in Congress, about the fact that markets across the board have become less competitive, uh, that we see greater monopolization, and that's having a negative effect on consumers, on workers, on new business formation, on innovation. Uh, I just testified on the Hill uh, over the last few weeks, and I heard from members of both parties significant concerns about how mon monopolies are hollowing out parts of rural America. They're making it difficult for people to be able to afford essential medicine. Uh, they're locking workers into jobs. And so, you know, I take those concerns from both parties very seriously. Uh, and it just underscores what an important job Congress has given the FTC. Uh, and we're going to continue to do that job. And ideally, we'll, you know, have new commissioners to welcome at some point as well. Chair Khan, we want to thank you for joining us in this wide-ranging conversation this morning. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again very, very soon. Next on Squawk Pod, how will AI impact the workforce? Will it create more jobs or eliminate them? CNBC's John Fort has both sides of the story. I think the liberal arts are coming back. Instead of telling people specialize, specialize, right, a lot of those things AI is going to do better. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. Stand by, Joe. Is Mike Q. IBM came out uh, with its artificial intelligence news at its uh, Think event yesterday. And Alphabet uh, is set for its own announcements today uh, at Google I.O. AI's effect on workers, though, still up in the air. Will AI create more middle-class jobs or kill them? And John Ford is here to weigh in. Uh, uh, you see hyperbolic things. I, I saw something that said, 
Five years from now, 80% of the jobs are going to be gone. <laughs> have you seen that? I, I have seen that. I mean, who knows, really? We have to ask AI how many jobs it's going to kill. Maybe, <laughs> well, Joe, actually, it's going to end up creating more jobs than it destroys. AI is the automation of mental labor, the same way the Industrial Revolution brought us automation of physical labor through machines. In that process, yes, some jobs will go away, just like we don't have as many weavers or carriage drivers employed today as we did 200 years ago, but we do have a lot more clothing stores and car salespeople. Now, in a report in March, Goldman Sachs estimated two out of every three U.S. jobs will have some exposure to AI, especially in administrative and legal work. Why is this going to be a good thing for middle-class workers on balance? Well, it will unlock creativity. A software CEO this week told me his customers use AI to scan new legal documents and make sure they have all the correct standard provisions. A human will still need to look things over, but it'll be faster. Does that mean less demand for lawyers? Well, if deals are getting done that much more quickly and deal volume increases, maybe not. It's always hard to see the opportunities new technology is going to create when we're at the beginning of the disruption. E-commerce was going to destroy local merchants and unique crafts until Etsy and Shopify emerged to amplify the crafty and bespoke. Creativity finds a way, Joe. Not so fast. Is there a chance we could use or need less, fewer lawyers? <laughs> I mean, is that a, possibi is that a possibility? Shakespeare uh, long ago was, was getting from I'm that kidding. outcome as you well. Know, <laughs> you can make fun of him until you need one. Then you better get it. <laughs> right. Then you want a good one. one. Right. As we've seen this week. So right? is, there another, is there another hand or you only have one hand today? Always, always another hand, Joe. Uh, yes. Check out the prompter. On the, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's why I brought the script. On the other hand, AI is going to kill more middle-class jobs than it creates for a basic reason. The kinds of jobs it's going to kill are the jobs people have right now. The jobs it's going to create are the ones that companies are trying to hire for but can't fill. A good example here is Google announcing this week that starting next month at a Wendy's in Columbus, Ohio, an AI chatbot is going to take orders at the drive through window. Industry jobs eliminated, if this works, probably tens of thousands at least. My, uh, McDonald's alone has more than 12,000 drive-thrus in the United States. Jobs AI drive-thru will create, I'm sure Google's going to need a crack team of 10 engineers to tune that AI to get better at upselling you the ice cream on a hot day. Now, I know we like to traffic in this myth that technological progress always makes more jobs for everyone. Tell that to Buffalo or Scranton. It doesn't. Advances that benefit some people in the economy can leave others devastated for generations. A big story of the last 30 years was the flip side of globalization, where American factory workers found themselves replaced by cheaper labor offshore. The next 30 could be the flip side of AI, where American knowledge workers find themselves replaced by bots, AI bots, trained on the archived data of our best emails and phone calls, Joe. John, it, it concerning. You write these. I have my. I th can I think? Yes. I, I'm, I haven't been replaced yet, have I? I so I want. I think honestly, you know, Luddites. I know all about that. This does feel like it might be more of a a, a sea change, more of a a major event to me. And and the question I keep asking, you take it to its logical conclusion, and it's not just all jobs are displaced, but all humans eventually could be displaced. And that's the science fiction that I've read and that, that is so compelling to think about. It's not just everybody's going to lose their jobs. They're not, we're not even going to need humans at all if these machines get that powerful. I think the upside is that'll take a while. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the challenge here, I, I think, is that education is probably the answer. But you know how a lot of people have been telling kids, oh, everybody learn to code, learn to code. Most of these people who are not great at coding are going to be B or C level 
coders. Mm -hmm. I think that's the sort of coding that AI is going to do great. Well, I think this is the concern is you can't educate your way out of this because the machine's always going to be faster and find different ways. And yes, you can find far. niches where you need a human brain to kind of check this out. Um, as the AI gets better, maybe that's less and less. But maybe this is a lesson that you need a craft, not, well, not, right. not, a, not with, a degree. If, if you got to work with your hands, I have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, I went to a liberal arts school, so I have that bias. I think the liberal arts are coming back. Instead of telling people specialize, specialize, right, a lot of those things AI is going to do, do better. What? But what do you learn? Like, I, I come from a liberal arts school, too, but what, what do we get trained to do? Well, I mean, Use ChatGPT so you can send in your essays? Well, I think understanding people understanding things like negotiation, sales process, how people think. AI is going to have a harder time doing that on the fly than somebody you know, who understands different cultures, who understands you know, uh, that kind of context. But you know, B-level, C-level code, AI is going to be able to generate that. I don't even have to know how to code. I can say, hey, turn me out code to do X, Y, Z. And mm. it already does some of that. But even like if, if it's replacing the lawyers, I mean, those are people who spend an extra three years going through school after you graduate from a four-year school. It's going to be harder to give a charismatic closing argument than it's going to be to find case law and but help basically, that you have to be to, the best in your business yes. to, to break through at any of this Fortunately, stuff. you guys are. Well, that's, that's probably questionable. <laughs> but, yeah, it's yeah, a good deal. It is. We're not stopping it. Might as well get used to it. Horses left the barn. The toothpaste is out of the tube. Genie's out of the bottle. Genie's out of the bottle. Got yeah. it. Can you add time. to this? <laughs> John, thank you. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, please follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.